Good evening, brothers and sisters. The message that I have prepared, or I wanted to pre prepare for all of you tonight, um, I wanted to kind of continue it from where I left off on Sunday evening, if you were there, if you were part of the choir, if you were at service on Sunday evening. I kind of had in mind something to continue from where I left off, but as time has been kind of passing, and I was at work yesterday thinking about it and just kind of praying over it, it seems to keep being steered into a different direction. Uh, what I wanted to say tonight has been, keeps being steered into this direction, so that's where I wanted to go there with it. If you remember on Sunday evening, if you were there, if not, that's okay. Even if you weren't there, what I say tonight will still be applicable to you. And it's very possible Peter did a very good summary at the beginning of the service. I appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. We were talking about two different covenants, and you can be a Christian and you could be saved, but very often you'll start living like an old covenant person, judging people, trying to look for perfection. If you're a new covenant Christian, you will live with a lot of grace because, you know, God has shown you grace. And in that sermon, I was saying that if you have peace with God because you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing to worry about except for two things. And that was if you have forgiven everyone of everything that they've ever done to you. Because the scripture says when you pray and you remember that someone has done wrong to you, forgive them. And secondly, you ask for forgiveness wherever you need to ask for forgiveness. I said if you do those two things, otherwise you're completely clean, you're free, you are good to go, you're ready for heaven, aren't you? And that's what I wanted to emphasize today. I wanted to speak on forgiveness. And it's very relevant for me. Even very recently, I had to go and apologize to several people that I had been wrong to. And they were very kind and very gracious to me. And after that, I started thinking in my life, where have I been recently? What about the grudges that I have towards people? What about the family members that have wronged me? What about the friends that have wronged me? Have I forgiven them? And so what I wanted to speak on tonight was this. If on Sunday night we spoke on this, the way I think God treats me is the way I will treat you, tonight I want to speak on the way I treat you is the way God will treat me. I want to say that again. On Sunday night, we said, the way I think God treats me is the way I will treat you. But tonight, the way I treat you is the way God will treat me. The first place I want to open to is the book of Matthew chapter 7. And this is something that Jesus says multiple times. He'll say this throughout the Gospels. In some Gospels, he'll say it twice, three times. And so this is Matthew chapter 7. I want to do verse 1 to verse Let's just do the first two verses there. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. I'm reading from the New King James Version translation. It says this. Judge not that you be not judged. And this word is better translated condemned. So if your Bible says condemned, that would be more appropriate. This is condemnation we're talking about. So condemn not that you be not condemned. For with what condemnation you condemn, you will be condemned and here's the key phrase I wanted to highlight. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. With the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The standard that you use on someone else is the standard God will use back on you. 
We read this again. For example, let's quickly turn to Mark chapter 4. I just want to read these from a couple different places just so you see that this isn't like a, a verse that pops up once and I think that's what it means. He says this multiple times. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. I'm so sorry, Mark chapter 4. We just read from Matthew. Let's do Mark chapter 4. He says to them in verse 24, Take heed what you hear. This is Jesus. With the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Let's go to another place in the Bible. Let's do Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Brother and sister, I want to say to you tonight, God is very serious, and he is very intentional about the way that you treat people. The way that you treat people will determine how God treats you. And so the question then is this. If God has forgiven you, can you forgive your brother or sister? The Bible says in another place, we don't have to open to there, but he says in the book of James, he who shows no mercy will not be shown mercy. If you are not a merciful person, God will not be very merciful to you. If you are a person who someone always needs to walk on eggshells around, you got to be really careful that I don't say this or that around you. I want you to know God will treat you in exactly the same way. If you are a person who is very easily, what's the word I'm looking for? You are very easily set on edge. People need to be very careful around you. I'm sorry, God will treat you in the same exact way. If you are impatient with people, God will be impatient with you. If you are nice to people, God will be nice to you. That's the new modern dentist translation. If you are a nice person, God will be nice with you. If you are not a nice person, God will not be nice to you. And that's his word. The measure that you use is going to be measured back to you. The standard that you have of people will be the same standard God has towards you. What's an example? What's a really good one? If you are not really good with your free time, you spend a lot of time on social media, for example. Let's say that you use a lot of your free time on Netflix or YouTube or whatever it may be for you. Let's say you like to spend a lot of time on internet forums. You like to read a lot of articles. You like to follow the politics. You like to see what Trump tweeted. And let's say you are not good with your time. And you find another person, another brother or sister. And you look at them and you say, hmm, instead of going to church, they went to a baseball game. I don't know about that. And you've judged them in your heart. What you've done is foolish because you are no better than them in what you do with your time. Does that make sense? If you are someone and you habitually waste time on your phone, who are you to tell another person how to use their time? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And God is saying, you're going to judge them for that? I'm going to judge you in exactly the same way, Dennis. Dennis, you don't like the way that that person talked to you? Well... Dennis, remember last week how you talked to X, Y, and Z? 
Dennis, do you remember? You didn't really like the way that that person uh, looked at you. Hey, Dennis, how many times have you looked the wrong way at other people? Do you see what I'm saying? The same exact standard you use against people is the standard that God will use against you. And very often we like to think that God is all merciful, all forgiving, and he's going to let everything go, and no one can judge me but God. But I want to tell you, God will judge you in exactly the same way you judge people. In exactly the same way. And very often I've seen this in my life where I say, God, how could they have done that? And then God will turn around and say, how could you have done that, Dennis? God, how is it that that Christian was caught doing this? And God will say, oh, Dennis, how was it that I caught you doing this? And so very often it's better for you. Don't judge. Don't even judge. Why? Because very often you judge incorrectly. You judge very selfishly. And he gives us this example. And I don't want to read it. I think you guys are all familiar with the story. The story is written in the book of Matthew chapter 18. I'll open to it. I won't read directly from it. But he shares this story, this illustration. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times. Seven times. Jesus is like, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. He's saying to him, you always forgive. And he says, I'll explain why. I have this illustration about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says it goes something like this. There is a master. And this master has many different servants. And one of, them, one of these servants owed the master 10,000 talents. Quick Bible trivia. How much is a talent? Does anyone know? It's, I had to Google it myself, so it's kind of an unfair question. Does anyone know? That's okay. There was a servant that owed his master 10,000 talents. And so this is how people were paid back in the day. One day's work was one denarii. Just one denarii. And if you were a Jew, you only worked six days out of the week. So you would get six denarii a week. And so you would work 100 days, a third of the year, you'd get 100 denarii. So you work 300 days out of 365, you'd get 300 denarii in a year. By the end of the year, you should be making 300 denarii, it's yours, it's clean. Of course, you can't spend it nowhere. So you have to work for 20 years to make one talent. One talent is 6,000 denarii. 6,000 denarii is 20 years of working and saving up one denarii every single day for one year is 300. You need two years to do 600, then you just multiply by 10. It's 20 years to make one talent, 6,000 denarii. So this guy's going to come up to his master after 20 years and say, hey, master, I, I got you your money. He's going to be like, thank you so much. You got 9,999 more. Do you understand? This debt would need to be paid off in 200,000 years. 200,000 years. So in this story, what he's really saying is this. You owe me so much that it would be impossible for you to pay me back. That's what it's saying. Heaven is like this. We owe God a debt that is impossible for us to pay back, even if we wanted to. And so this master is ready. He's ready to take everything away from the servant. He's ready to sell him, his family, his wife, his children, and then to sell him. And he says, Master, forgive me. I'll pay you back. He couldn't pay him back. Master, forgive me. It says the master had compassion on him. He forgave him absolutely everything. 
And so this servant goes and he finds another servant, a co-worker, I guess you could say. And he says, he doesn't say, he grabs him by the throat. And he says, you owe me 100 denarii. That's a third of a year's wage, just 100. Pay me back everything. And what does he say? The servant says, please. He throws, I beg you, I'll pay you back. He says, no, you won't. He throws him into jail. He throws him into jail. And very often we, we read this story, and I read this story, and I, th- I say to myself this, and maybe you've said this to yourself as you heard the story or you read it. Man, this guy is, this guy is pathetic. This guy is disgusting. This guy is a jerk. This guy is to have been forgiven a debt that was impossible for him to pay and then to go around and to hold a grudge against his brother is foolish. This guy is messed up. This guy is messed up. But I want to say to you, brother and sister, when me and you do not forgive each other, we are that messed up person. We are this jerk. We are this pathetic, disgusting person because God has forgiven each and every single one of us a debt that we could have never paid, not in a million years, I say to you, brother and sister. Brother and sister, the debt that you and I owe God was unpayable. The only thing left for us was to go to hell forever. That's what we would have had to pay for. And he has forgiven us. He has forgiven us. He's had compassion and mercy and grace, and he has forgiven us. And then if I find my brother, my sister, my parents, my uncles, my aunts, whoever it is, my acquaintance, my old friend, an old relationship that I had, and I say, God, I cannot forgive them. I am disrespecting God in such a disgusting way. God is looking at me and he's saying, Dennis, I have forgiven you such a ridiculously high debt and you could not have had compassion on your fellow man, God will judge me. He will condemn me. Because if I condemn, he will condemn me. The measure that I use, the standard that I use, God is going to use back on me. If I cannot forgive, God is going to say, Dennis, you can't forgive, then I won't forgive. That's the reality. That is the reality. Very often people are very quick to, God has forgiven me, God loves me. But what that person did to me, I can never forgive. I've heard that. I've heard that from grandparents before, from older people who said, I could never forgive them because of something that happened way back there in the Soviet Union. I could never forgive them. And I am scared. If I hear, if I hear them say that, I am not excited for them. I am not excited for them because they're the ones that are closest to standing before God, are they not? They're so old, they could literally be done any day of this week. And if they have not forgiven everyone, Lord, have mercy on their soul. The same measure that you use, God will measure back to you. And if we cannot forgive one another, the debt that we owe each other is puny. It is so small, it is so insignificant compared to what we owe God. Compared to what we owe God, it is insignificant. It is puny. It is laughable. It is laughable to think that for a hundred denarii, this guy could not forgive him. 
It's laughable to think that he was forgiven 10,000 talents and he couldn't forgive someone that owed him 100. It's laughable, it's pitiable, it's pathetic, it's disgusting. But how often have I been this person who has said to my brother or to my sister or to my mom or to my dad, what you have done needs to be judged. What you have done to me needs to be remembered. It needs to be grudged. It needs to be held on to. And every time I walk by you in the hallway, I won't look at you in the eye and I can't shake you in the hand and I won't ever call you and I won't ever text you. It's stupid. It's stupid. And God is saying to us, if you will measure people with a standard like that, I will measure you with that same exact standard. And it's not a joke. It is not a joke. He says at the end of that illustration, he says, so will God do to every one of you who does not forgive from his heart. And so, as we finish this, or as we continue this series on the fellowship with God, today we're doing God is love. And I know the Bible says, no greater love has one than this, than to lay down your life for your brother or your sister. Jesus did that. But I think forgiveness is at the top somewhere. I think forgiveness is number two or three. It's the top five for sure. Laying down your life is the greatest act of love you can do, but I think forgiving is also somewhere really high up there. God has been very good to us. He has forgiven us. He has loved us. He has died for us. And I may not die for anyone here. I may not die for anyone physically, but I can forgive them. And I can do this because God has forgiven me. And if I do not forgive what I'm doing is pathetic. What I'm doing is ridiculous. What I'm doing is beyond stupid. It's beyond stupid. And I want to say to those of you here tonight, um, it's very possible that maybe the reason why I felt like I should have preached on this was because there might be someone in here who has a grudge, who maybe has something in their hearts, and the conscience will convict you of it. That's what the conscience is for. And as, as we we will pray in a few minutes. Your conscience may stir you. Your conscience may wake you up and say, Dennis, remember this brother. Remember this sister. Remember this grudge that you have been holding against this person. I'm not pleased with you having that grudge. Dennis, remember this person whom for months and now years you cannot look at them the same. Dennis, if you really want, I'll start looking at you the same way too. Because with the same measure that we use, God will use in us. Please, the kingdom of heaven is like this. You owed God a debt that was beyond you. You could have never paid it off. 200. You would spend all eternity in hell to pay for your sin. But you don't have to because he's forgiven you. And so the puny debt that we have toward each other so insignificant, so minuscule, that holding it, holding it would be a sin. Let's stand and pray. Lord God, I am grateful, Lord, for the forgiveness that you have shown me, my God, the love that you have shown me, the grace that you have shown me. I have owed you a debt that was way above me, my God. I could have never paid it off, Lord. And the only thing that was left for me, Lord, was eternal condemnation, eternal fire, eternal hell, my God. And Lord, how often am I, Lord, 
quick to make myself God and to say, Lord, this person has wronged me. They deserve my judgment. They deserve my grudge. They deserve to be separated from me, my God, because what they did has been wrong against me. They owe me a hundred denarii, Lord. Have mercy on us. Forgive us, my God. When we are so foolish, so pathetic, so disgusting to think that the sin, Father, that we have committed against each other is comparable to the sin that we have committed against you, the living God. Slava to be I am grateful, Lord, for your mercy and your grace and your love, Lord. And very often I am reminded, God, of the price that you had to pay to forgive me, my God. You died on that cross, Jesus Christ. You lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life, Father. And you ask me, Lord, to measure just as you have measured to me, my God. You have been loving to me, Lord. You ask me to be loving to my brothers and sisters. You have been graceful to me. You ask me to be graceful to my brothers and sisters. And you have commanded me, Lord God, to be loving, Father, as you are loving, my God. If I wish to have fellowship with a God who is loving, I must be loving, my God. And if I cannot forgive my brother, Lord, who am I to expect you to forgive me, Lord? Your word says the measure that I use will be measured back to me, my God. And if there is someone in this place, Lord, who is holding a grudge, who is holding, Lord, bitterness in their heart, I pray, Lord, would you give them grace, and you have given them grace, my God, to forgive them, Lord God, to show, Lord, kindness, to show grace, to show mercy, Lord, to the one who shows no mercy, no mercy will be shown, my God. When it comes to forgiveness, Lord, you do not play any games, Father. You do not show any compromise. We must be willing to forgive everyone for everything that they have done against us, my God. We understand that it hurts, Lord, the things our family may have done to us, the things our parents may have done to us, they should have known better, especially as Christians, God. But we must be willing to forgive them, Lord, because you have forgiven us, Lord. I pray, give us grace, and you have given us grace to forgive them, Lord. I pray, let us see the kingdom of heaven just like you've forgiven it, Lord. And it would be heavens that have owed you a ridiculously high debt, God, but you've forgiven it, Lord. And it would be stupid of me, Lord, to hold the debt against my brother, such a small debt, Lord. I pray, bless the rest of the service, my God. And would we be willing, Father, to forgive our brother, to forgive our sister, to forgive our neighbor, our parents, my God, our relatives, Lord, for the things they've done to us, my God. We are not, Father, justifying their sin, Lord, but we are coming into your presence spotless, my God. We want to be pleasing in your sight, Lord. And we want, Father, for you to measure us, my God, in the same way, Lord, that we measure those around us, Lord. We love you, God. Bless the rest of the service and be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. He deserves the glory. Amen. Um, how are you? It's Tuesday evening. You, you don't know yet? We'll, we'll, wait for, we'll wait until Wednesday, right? To figure out. It's funny how our week and, uh, is based on the days of the week. You know, you talk to people, oh, it's Monday. It must be bad. You know, you talk to them on Wednesday, it's like, ask me tomorrow or something, you know, and Friday is the best day of the week and so on and so forth. Um, it kind of limits us, doesn't it? You know, my wife, I worked in school for... Um, 
quite a few years. And her year is not um, January through December. The way she sees a year is September through June. It's like weird. She's like, oh, next year. I'm like, well, wait a second, what do you mean next year? She's like, well, in September. Uh, so it's, it, it really depends what we do. And, and my week is Wednesday through Saturday, so. For me, there's no Friday. <laughs> um, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. I am recovering from something. I'm not sure why, what exactly I had for the last week. Um, I might be a little slow, so be patient with me. <laughs> this is the second day that I'm feeling better, and praise the Lord. I believe um, with his help, we'll be able to... Um, to talk about love, and particularly about God's love. And all you guys know that today uh, we're going to be talking about um, the love of God. Uh, we're covering uh, which epistle? Can somebody help me? Second Jude? First John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And... Uh, what did we talk about last time? Do you guys remember? If somebody wants to volunteer, please do. We need some participation here. Um, I would like to hear what we talked about last time. If you remember, feel free to um, fill us in. Last time, well, let's start even before that. Let's start even before that. I'm not going to ask you some tough questions. I'm not going to ask you tough questions uh, like, uh, what, did you, what did God teach you this week? I re remember being at one conference, and this guy said, well, brothers, he was an old man, what did God teach you last week? I'm going to go around the audience, and you know, you're going to tell me. And I'm like, oops, <laughs> trying to think this week, last week, a month ago. <laughs> and the reality is, um, it's my daily fellowship with God or the lack of it, right? If God is really teaching me, if I'm really spending time with God, He's teaching me something. And I'm not going to be afraid of anything because he really teached me something today, this morning, you know, yesterday, last week. Um, but if I'm not spending time with God, there's no revelation. There's no revelation, there's no growth. And if there's no growth, there's what? Well, there's nothing. You know, according to, the, to, to uh, a survey, 37% of Americans read their Bibles more than once a week. Less than 37% of Americans read their Bible more than once a week. So give, give or take, you have probably, what, 15, 20% of people that read more than once a week? How are we doing? 
And no wonder why the culture we live in is so corrupt. Because people are wandering farther and farther away from God's word, from his standard. The less we open the Bible, the less we study what God is teaching in his word, the less we as Christians, the more confused we're going to become in this culture today. We're going to wonder, what is right? Is gay marriage okay? Maybe it is. Some people say that it is. They prove it by scripture. Is being transgender okay, not sinful? You don't hurt anyone. It's my choice. Is it okay? Is, 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 you know, Living before marriage, okay, is this? And, and it's, it becomes confusing because you see people that practice that. And they go to church. And you see people that teach things that seem to be contradicting to the Bible, but now we're confused. Well, guess what? One of the reasons is because we um, forgot to Maybe don't spend enough time in the scripture to begin with. And this is the aim. One of our goals for youth here at Youth Slavic Christian Center is to do what? Study the scripture. To learn how to study the scripture. Because guess what? In five, ten years, you're going to be married just like Artem and Nadia happily married, and Artem is going to be responsible for his family. He is responsible for his family right now and the choices they make. And you, as a young father, as a young man, will have to make certain decisions and carry the responsibility. And you, as a young mother, will have to make a decision how to educate your kids, how to, what to teach them, what to do in this stage of their life, what to teach them now, how to pass on your faith to them, right? So this is not just for me. This is going to be passed down in generations. I'm going to, you know, make an impact on generations um, after me, Lord willing, if we're here. So that's why we study the scriptures, and that's one of our mission in, the, in our mission statement, to study the scripture and to bring people to Christ, to bring people to Christ. Today we're studying 1 John, and we will begin with um, chapter 3 and 4. But before we do that, I would like to review what we already talked about. The first, very first, um, very first time we had an overview with Alex Slobodyanik. And Alex Slobodyanik talked about um, spiritual growth. He talked about um, a need to grow in God and to spend time with him through studying the scripture, of course. Um, He also talked about that the, the purpose of the epistle uh, of the first John is that we have joy and that we have confidence in eternal life. 
that we have joy and we have confidence in eternal life. And God is the one who delivers us from all fear. Amen? Amen. And he challenged us to read the epistle, possibly every day, all five chapters. Did somebody read at least once? There are people, okay. Okay, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna make everyone raise their hands. <laughs> um, Andy, last time, talked about God being light, that God is light. And he said that only scripture can define God. And scripture, scripture has to shape our view on life. If you guys remember, he brought a very good visual example of a man that had an orphanage of, if I remember right, 300 kids. And every time he would release an orphan, um, he would give him a Bible in one hand and place a coin in the other hand. And he said, as long as you keep reading this and follow this, God will be faithful in placing the coin in your other hand. I thought that was a good... That's a good way to put it. You know, God is always faithful and he provides. So God is light and today we're talking about God as love. What does you, what do you think when you hear the word love? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? You know, we had an older brother that would come out and say, brothers and sisters, love is not what you think it is. <laughs> but how do you know what I think it is? <laughs> how do you know what I think, right? But love is not what you think it is. But what is love? What we think about when we think of love. When I was getting ready for this study, all I could think about is the love of the Father. The love of the Father. I don't know. That thought would just keep pursuing me. And I realized here today that majority of us are coming from Christian families. But even so, even with that, I realized that some people here never experience Father's love. And I'm talking about our earthly fathers. I'm talking about the fathers that we have in our families. That some people here never experience the father's love. And it's hard when we haven't experienced a physical a father um, love in our family. It's hard to relate when we talk about God. It's hard to relate what love looks like. But he is still a father. And he, in fact, is father to the fatherless. He calls himself father to the fatherless. This is the kind of God we had. The, the love of the father, John says, is shown in the fact that he adopted us. We were orphans. Nobody wanted us. We were for sale. He adopted us. 
He made us our, his children. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful thought that we are his now? He said that we are different from the world. And also, in chapter 3, he says that we are expecting Jesus and our transformation into a new state to be like him. He said that we don't know what we're going to be like. We just don't have a clue what we're going to be like. But we know who we are today. We are his children. And in fact, throughout his whole epistle, he's using one distinct um, word, children, a lot. I underlined or circled all the times that he, um, that he repeats it. And he addresses the church, the people, adults, my little children. How would you feel if somebody would write you a letter and say, my little child? You know, I was the other day in the hallway, and this lady comes in, there's four kids, they're kids. But she comes in and she's like, how are you doing, little kids? And they stare at her like, what's wrong with you, lady? <laughs> We're not little, you know. <laughs> We're, I'm five. Um, you know, it's offensive, right? But John keep using this word. He says, little children. He says, Luke, chapter 2, my little children. Children, because you know the Father. Children, it is the last hour. Now, little children, abide in Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. Children of the devil. And so on and so forth. He keeps repeating it. John, what's going on? Well, I think there's two things. First thing is that John is much older than all of us here. He is in his late years, and he has a heart of a father. He is a real father, and he really concerned for these people. He's really concerned for the church. And he says, my children, you are like my children. That's one takeaway that we can take for sure. The second one is that he is leveling us. And he says, you think you're greater? You think you're somebody? You know what? You're a child of God. In God's eyes, you are a child of God. And we are all the same. And when through chapter 3 and 4 and through the whole epistle, he talks about believers as being children. Believers love one another. All he says is that, guys, you are in the same group. You are in a group of children of God. You are his children. Don't think of yourself that much. Think of yourself as a child of God. And think of Dennis as a child of God. And Peter. And Rachel. And others. Think of other people as children of God. Relate to them as children of God. Respect them as children of God. Treat them as children of God. 
Never allow yourself to abuse somebody because he is a child of God. If you're a child of God. So that would be probably the second takeaway that we can take from that. Oh, it's interesting. John is all about practical applications. And he gives us several tests that we will look at and um, hopefully apply to our lives. One of the first tests he gives in chapter 2, he says, By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him out himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Test number one. Ching, do you pass? Do I pass or fail? The one, by this we know that we are in him, in God. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. We'll go on and we'll look at chapter 3 um, and 4. And the very first thing that John is dealing with is addressing the issue of sin. And he says um, in chapter 3, he says, We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So he said, everyone who has this hope purifies himself. And that's the first thing he addresses. He says, if you're really waiting for Jesus, if you're really expecting Jesus, automatically, this is like a given you're going to be purifying yourself, analyzing yourself, walking, striving to be holy before God because Jesus is pure and he is coming back. It is unnatural for a believer to live in sin. We can compare, I just thought that a you know, I could compare sin to a disease that the person gets. It invades the body and weakens it. And we have to deal with it. You have to fight it. You have to overcome it. Or otherwise, if you just let it dwell there, it might as well kill you. Can you ask yourself, ask yourself, do I treat sin like that? Because we all get infected with sin. It is not uncommon. But do we stay in it? Do we allow sin to destroy us from inside? Or do we eradicate it? Do we deal with that? Do we come, do we bring it to, to Christ? Do we bring it to the cross? things that we struggle with. John says the purification is a constant process and it's for the rest of our life. The one who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. In Ephesians 5, um, in Ephesians 5, Paul 
addresses the issue of sin, and he says that, but immorality, chapter 5, verse 3, or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And I will skip some verses and I will read. Um, um, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So Paul says that because of those things, of the sins in this world, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. But we are not the sons of disobedience. We are children of God. If we are in Christ, if we accepted Christ, if we accepted His sacrifice, we are children of God now. We are not sons of disobedience. Why would we live in sin? Why do we enjoy sin? It is unnatural for us. And we strive to be leading life free of sin. John said, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ is an advocate for us, for our sins. You know, sometimes when I talk to people, and I talk to people and uh, talk to a person, he said, you know, brother, would you preach? Um, oh, no, I, you know, this is not a good time. I can't do it. This is, I'm just, you know, not ready. And uh, the question is, how long you're going to be not, how long do you need to be ready? How long are you planning to be in that state of just not being ready to serve God? Because it's a choice. It's not upon God. It's upon me. It's a choice to stay in the same state, whatever it is. It could be a sin. It could be um, a state of hopelessness. It could be a state of, you know, self-pity and so on and so forth. How long do we plan to stay in that? John says that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who gave us freedom and victory over sin. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. The next thing he deals with, the time is running out, is the conscience of a believer. And he says that um, if our heart, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 19 that in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And he's speaking to the believers. He's not speaking to the world. He's not speaking to the people that have no conscience, that the conscience, their conscience is burned. He's speaking to the people that were born again, that are in a church. And he says, if your conscience condemns you, if you're not, if you don't have peace over something, moreover, 
much more God is judging you because he gave you that clean conscience. And the best way is to deal with that instant, instantly and don't let your heart to be hardened. What are the, common, the most common sources uh, you know, of conscience, of, of conscience that is not um, pure? Dennis talked about it today. Dennis talked about you know, judgment of others, being judgmental. Maybe our conscience is not pure in some regard in, about some issues. And we try to judge other people. We judge other people so we feel better. You know, we'll look down on those people and say, well, I'm not that bad. Look at what he's doing. That way justifying my guilt. Some of the common uh, things are sin, broken relationships with parents, mistreatment of others, gossip. We can today rest in his forgiveness, in his provision, and be at peace. Be at peace with ourselves, with our soul. Amen? God's desire is that we have confidence, that we have boldness. He says the righteous man is bold like a lion is bold like a lion. If you haven't seen a lion in a while, go to the zoo. There's a tiger. Sorry, there's no lions. There's a tiger. Remind yourself what the righteous person looks like. Because we're walking in this world, and am I bold? Or am I afraid? Do I have confidence? that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm walking the life that God wants me to walk, that I'm walking in the steps of Jesus, that I'm an example, and I'm, I'm an imitator of God. That's the way he would walk if he would be in my shoes. Do I have that assurance, that confidence? The Holy Spirit gives us that. Clean conscience before God gives us that. The very next thing he jumps to is testing the spirits. And it sounds so spiritual. How do you test the spirits? How do we test the spirits? And John says that, brothers and sisters, I'm going to make it easier for you. Here is the two tests. And when we talk about spirits, we're talking about people, physical, real people, in this world today that are teaching and speaking and attracting people, um, attracting people. And he says, testing the spirits. Here is how you test the spirit. Chapter 4. Uh, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he said the first test, it's, a, it's, a, it's one test, but there's two parts to it. Every spirit that confesses, 
that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God that came in the flesh. That's the Spirit of God. There are many people, many um, sects today that do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. That he is the Son and that He died and was resurrected. Muslims, for a fact, don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. They not only don't believe that, they um, argue and, and, and they have their story what happened. Um, they say that God has no son. It's all different. Um, but that's number one. That's number, the test number one. The second part of the test is John says that um, they are from the world. They've, therefore, they speak us from the world, and the world listens to them. They speak us from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. People who know God listen to us. So, the second part of this test is that the world listens to those prophets and to those people and to those so-called Christian pastors and teachers, the world listens to them and says, I can listen to this message. I can learn something from here. The message of the person is not offensive to the world at all. You know why? You know why? Because there is no cross. Where there's no cross, where there's no death and blood shed, there is people okay with that. People love Jesus that loves them. Come to Jesus. Jesus loves you. All you need to do is to accept Jesus Christ in your heart. And you'll be okay. All you need to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you'll be okay. That's deceitful. Because where there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Only when there is cross and death on the cross to the old self, only through resurrection there can be a new self. There can be a new person. Amen? Amen. That's the truth that John is trying to convey and he wants us to be aware. He wants us to be able to test the spirits of this time. And he moves on and he says that, but most importantly is... Um, he looks and he says, uh, the children of God. We are the children of God. And we already talked about that John uses that image of children as, um, as an example. You know, and as I was praying today, as I was praying today, I'm like, Lord, how, what is this message? What is this, the love of the Father? What does it, you know, give us? 
How does it practically look like? And here, there are my two sons, uh, Nahum and Matthew. They were playing around, just doing something um, and pushing me as I was praying. And then all of a sudden, they were started fighting, you know, who's going to sit on my lap? As I was standing on my knees. And uh, so they both managed to get on, got in, and, 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 and I held them. I held them like that, you know. And, and it, I just realized that they feel safe. They feel safe being with me. We as children of God, we feel safe in His presence. In this world, world is hostile toward a believer, toward a child of God. Jesus said, I sent you like sheep among the wolves. I don't know if you've seen wolves recently, but they're fearless. They're furious. And sheep is their favorite prey. But in the presence of the Father, there's safety. There's comfort. There's confidence. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Through children of God, the real children of God are marked they're like marked with red ink. You know them by the way they treat each other. And when we love, will we imitate God. Children of God have the same DNA as Jesus Christ. You know that? They have the same DNA as Jesus Christ. They are born from, of the same spirit. And they imitate God. God's commandment for us, John said, Beloved, our hearts does not condemn us if we have and we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, verse 22, because we keep His commandments and the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So simple. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, vertically, and that we love one another here, horizontally. So simple. Nothing sophisticated. And yet we fail to do it. <laughs> It's amazing. How do we fail to love one another? How is it possible? Why do we fail to love one another? It's the simplest commandment that God, I think, gave us. And I still fail. I still struggle with it. I believe we need to look at the source. We really need to look at the source. Let's open up James 4, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. And we'll look at the source of the problem. James 4, 1 through 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He asks. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, 
so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. Here is the source of the problem. Here lies the source of the problem. When I read that, I started crying before God and said, Lord, this is so true. We're trying to have best of both worlds. To love God and to love the world. And John says, that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. My dear friends, love of the world is incompatible with love of the Father and love of his children. And this is the reason, James says, you have problems in the church. This is the reason why people come into the church and they don't see any love. They don't see any light. They say, I was in the church for so many years and I was disappointed and didn't see Christ in the church. What is the problem? And this is the source. The source is love for the world. And where there is love for the world, love for the culture, love for the splendor of this world, there can be love of the Father. As simple as that. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. My brother, my sister, it's not a part-time job. It's a full-time job. It takes the whole heart it takes all strength. It takes my emotions. It takes my will. Everything, all of me, to love God. But if my love is for the car, I split that with God. And that doesn't work. That will have to go at some point. When we grow. If my love is for the hobby... I have to let it go sometimes because I try to split. I try to have best of both worlds. And I'm not saying that you can't have hobbies, you can't have good cars. But where is your excitement for this life? Where are your emotions? What do you love talking about? Maybe traveling, maybe, you know, something else. It's different for us, for all of us. But if I ask you about God, if I ask you about His purpose for your life, are you going to be as passionately telling me about what He's opening up to you? 
That's the true test. Where my emotions and my heart is. What is the answer? How can we love one another? I'm going to ask the group if they can sing uh, this song again. If you guys would not, if you guys would be so kind in service. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Um, here I am to say that you are my God. What is the answer? How can we love one another? Yeah, sure. How can we love one another? The answer is in the name of this series. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. You know, Jesus Christ came here to this earth to be, to show who the Father is. And if you wonder who the Father is, it's abstract for you. Look at Jesus. He is the representation of the living God. When he was asked, show us the Father, he says, look at me, and you see the exact same copy. If you want to know the Father, study the life of Jesus. Study what he did, what he ate, how he walked. Copy him. Just make a carbon copy. Just follow him. Pursue him. Imitate him. And say, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to have your heart. Jesus is the direct representation of God. John says, What we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that your, our joy may be made complete. We're going to start singing right now and worshiping God. But before we do that, um, I just want to challenge you. If you're popular in the youth, if you're popular in the youth, if you're established, you know, you have friends, do you keep building yourself up with popularity, Or maybe you should grab somebody who's not as popular, who's not as recognized, and give him a hand. Give her a hand. Bring her into your group. Meet with him and her. Spend time with her. Show the love. John says if you have the goods of this life and you see a brother who's suffering, who doesn't have something that you have, and you don't share, how the love of the Father lives in you it's only words we only love when we do not when we think or believe or think we love it's what we do it's not what we say it's what we do